We all have paradigms and roadblocks that prevent us from excelling, and they can be real or imagined. Welcome to Beyond Bricks, a podcast that will give you the ability to break through those walls. Here's Dr. Nathan Unruh. 13 years ago, today, was sentenced to essentially life in prison. And it's one of the most remarkable stories you are ever going to hear. I was playing football and I got injured, a career in an injury in 1996 against Texas A&M. I got into hardcore drugs in 96, cocaine, ecstasy pills. I was training to be a stockbroker in Dallas when I was introduced to meth for the first time. When I broke into people's houses, my victims, I didn't just steal their property, man. I stole their sense of security. I believe that God sent angels down to me that were in the form of SWAT teams. And they're armed. They they're look like they're just in a massive body armor and everything. There's guns in my faces. They're screaming, don't move, don't move. They didn't arrest me that day. They rescued me that day, brother. 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. This Dallas SWAT team, those are my saviors, man. They plucked me out of a world that I wasn't going to get out of. There was this one guy that was so different in Dallas County, this old black man named Mr. Jackson. He said, imagine prison as a pot of warm water. He said, anything we put to this pot of warm water is gonna be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. If I put a carrot in the pot of warm water we call prison, he said, what happens to the carrot? And I'm like, Mr. Jackson, the carrot's gonna turn soft. The egg is gonna turn hard, man, like a hard-boiled egg. This man told me that day, he said, if I put a coffee bean in that same pot of warm water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, Ed, he said the coffee bean had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power was inside that coffee bean. And he said, just like the power's inside you. Instead of letting the life sentence define you, she said, you change yourself inside this prison. You change this prison actually around you. She said, yeah, the coffee bean. And on November 16, 2015, I walked up a Texas prison. One of the most powerful messages that anybody could hear, not just a football team, anybody. I go around telling the coffee bean story, and it's caught on in college football programs all the country, in corporations and schools. These things that you think disqualify you are actually the great qualifiers for you to help change other people's lives, including your own. Go out there and go be a coffee bean. This podcast is not about how palatable Christianity can be. It's about how dangerous its message is to our world. The scripture tells us that Jesus came to bring a sword and a fire so he would distinguish his message. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is a dangerous message because it sets people free. That message is our goal for this podcast. Welcome everyone to this conversation. I'm with a good friend and, and getting to know him better and better all the time, Mr. Damon West. And I, I want to just get you talking because I want them to hear your story. First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Brother, every time I come into Sioux Falls, you are like the, the greatest ambassador I've ever met to the city. And, <laughs> and this time you bring me in and the weather's good. It's been snow on the ground yeah. every time I've been here, but this one, I meet you yeah. and there's, there's sunshine now. Yeah. So it's great. Here's how I got to know Damon West. I'm sitting at home and my son says to me, Dad, you got to listen to this guy. Sends me this podcast of you on my last podcast. I, by the time I'm done listening to the podcast, I got tears rolling down my face. I call my wow, assistant man. and I say, we're hiring Damon West. And his book in front of me here, The Coffee Bean, is a book that you co-authored with John Gordon. John Gordon. Yeah. And it's a phenomenal read, a phenomenal concept. 
tell us how did we get here? So that's a that's a loaded question, and I've got a lot to say about that, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and first of all, the Ed podcast, Ed is great, man. And one of the things that makes Ed so great is Ed is such a great listener and communicating. We always talk about like communicating because, you know, everybody needs a coach in life. We all need mentors. We all need coaches. And that's one of the main things I think that you get from Ed because Ed is a great communicator because he's a great listener. And so, and, and you have also been a great listener too. We, we, I mean, whenever I met you for the first time in person, you knew so much about from our conversation, you knew so much about me because you listened. And dude, I appreciate that. I want to let you know, because that's one of the things I talk about when I'm talking with people is listening and how important it is to listen to what people are saying. Whenever I was in Dallas County Jail in 2009, I had just been sentenced to life in prison for engaging in organized criminal activity. And y'all, this is really happening. I'm not going to say I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. In 2009, I was, I was in a trial. I was the ringleader of a bunch of other meth addicts breaking into people's houses. Back up about five years before that, I was a stockbroker in Dallas and another stockbroker introduced me to methamphetamines one day. And I was instantly hooked to this drug called meth. It's the most evil, most destructive, most addictive drug I've ever seen. And within about 18 months, I was homeless living on the streets of Dallas. And then I became a, a serial burglar. And these burglaries went on for about three years. They were called the Uptown Burglaries. And and I always say that my victims of my crimes, I didn't just steal property from people. I stole people's sense of security. And I don't know if they get that back. So now I'm answering for my crimes in 2009 at this long trial that I had to go through in Dallas. And the jury sentenced me to life in prison for engaging in organized crime on May 18, 2009. So... Right after I've been sentenced to life in prison, my mom and my dad, they had this very serious conversation with me and that my mom gives me this ultimatum, no gangs and no tattoos. And she tells me, come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And I don't know how I'm going to do this, Nathan, because I mean, I'm going to this world, this pressure cooker that I've never been, I'm, I'm a, dude, I've never known anybody's been to prison at this point. But I run into this older black man named Mr. Jackson in Dallas County Jail, and he shares with me the story of the coffee bean. And he's telling me that prison is going to be like a pot of boiling water. And he said, you have three choices how to respond. You'd be like a carrot that becomes soft in the boiling water, an egg that becomes hard in boiling water, or a coffee bean, which changes the pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. And he, he told me, he said, be a coffee bean. And I remember where I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I can understand that. I can wrap my brain around that. You know, and it's, it's the reaction I see from people, whether they're five to 95 years old, they understand the concept of the coffee bean. Hearing something and listening to something, you know, and actually applying it, those are, those are a lot of different things going on there. And, and when I went to prison, it was the biggest pot of boiling water I've ever seen. It was everything he said it was going to be bad and more. But I found out how to become a coffee bean inside that pot of boiling water called prison. And after seven years and three months in that maximum security prison, the parole board came to see me and they wanted to know, can you find more coffee beans in the world like you found more coffee beans in prison? Can you change the world out there and outside these walls like you changed the world inside these walls? I'm like, give me a shot. So on November 16, 2015, I made parole. Now, I'm not a free man. You're not looking at a free man in front of you. I got a little more time on parole. I'm on parole to the year 2073 instead of Texas. So it's, I got a little more time. And now I got a, it's a big sword of Damocles hanging over my head, man. Because, I mean, if I step out of line, I go back to prison for the rest of my life. But I'm telling you, I'm not worried about going back to prison because I'm a coffee bean. And as long as I'm a coffee bean, the only way I go to prison is when I go to prisons all over America and, and share the story with the men and women there to bring them hope on their journey. But the story of the coffee bean was given to me by a man in Dallas County Jail in the summer of 2009, exactly 10 years before John Gordon and I write this book, The Coffee Bean, in the summer of 2019. And Nate, I'm telling you, man, it is, I, I've been blown away with what I've seen happen in the world with the coffee bean message since then. Yeah, so something you said, and I've heard you say when you told the story, Mr. Jackson gave you the advice yeah. that you are going to get in fights. Yeah. 
You're not going to win all those fights, but you're going to have to fight all those fights. Speak to that for a moment, because I can't imagine feeling that. This is the truth about fighting. The truth about fighting is this. You don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's what he's telling me. Don't worry about your wins and losses. No one cares about your wins and losses, but everybody's watching to see, is he going to get back up? Is he going to get back up and face the next adversity it comes to you? And that's what I tell people all the time. You know, don't worry about your wins and losses. No one cares about those, but everybody's watching to see, does he or she get back up when adversity hits? And that's what we have to do in life. We have to be able to just get back up. And sometimes it's hard for people, man. Sometimes it's hard for people to get knocked down over and over again. And I get it, man. Life is hard. Life is tough. But you have to be able to get back up and keep going. You can't worry about losing in life. Everybody loses in life. It's okay to lose, but it's not okay to stay down. Yeah. So, okay. And I want to, I want you to drive that home for the, for the people listening right now. When you were laying on the floor and you got arrested and you had a gun pointed at you. Sure. You had a different perspective. Yeah. It may be that perspective changed over the years as you were coffee bean, right? But they were your angels. I think you've made that statement. Absolutely. July 30th, 2008. The day the SWAT team takes me down. I mean, and I'm sitting on the couch. I'm smoking meth with my meth dealer. But I, I'm telling you, man, like my partner in crime had just been arrested 10 days before that by Dallas Police Department. They got him in custody. I know it's just a matter of time before they get to me. The flashbang grenade comes through the window. It goes off in my face. And when I came to, I can see in here again. I get my senses back. Because that's what a flashbang grenade does. It knocks you off your senses. I've got this gun in my face. The gun is poking in my eye, actually. And this cop is screaming at me, don't move, don't move. And one of the cops screams out that we, you know, we got him. We got the uptown burglar. And when I'm on the floor looking up that barrel, that gun, and I'm sitting there to myself thinking, man, they got me. You know, I'm in a different place in time in my life with how I understand what's going on in life. Because that guy that was on the floor that day only saw that as being like the end to my run, as being a, a, a drug addict, being into my run, as being a criminal. And my mindset wasn't where it is today. Today, this version of me, was looking up that barrel and going, man, on the other side of that gun is an angel. And my angel didn't have wings. They, they had assault rifles, they had shields, they had helmets. They came through the window, they busted on the door. They, they plucked me out of that world that I was in. God sent an angel, a SWAT team officers to get me out of that situation. I, was in. I, I wasn't getting out any other way. I, I truly believe that if those SWAT team guys don't arrest me that day, if I don't get sentenced to life in prison even, that's another thing. I think that life sentence saved my life. If that doesn't happen, if I'm not dead at this point right now in life, I'm a version of myself that's not worth living, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to understand that because the SWAT teams of life come for us all the time in different ways. Now. I mean, a SWAT team is a divorce. It's a bankruptcy. It's a lost job. It's a, it's a, a child getting hurt. Maybe a child dies, you know? I've got a friend named Brad Hunstable in Texas, and I was with him yesterday. His son died by suicide back in 2020. You know, he's just a little boy and he takes his own life. That's a SWAT team, man. Mm -hmm. The SWAT team. But what he did with it is he, you know, he made uh, awareness around the issue of, you know, adolescent suicide. And, and he's made this big platform that his son didn't take his own life in vain. And he made something out of that bad situation. And that's where really we, we find out, you know, that's what the separators are in life. Is that people that get knocked down by great tragedies, the SWAT team comes to get them. What do you do now? Because the SWAT teams of life are always coming for it. Always. Yeah. And I think that it's easy, though, to become a victim. Mm -hmm. versus a victor. Absolutely. So we have to be a victor mindset. And our society tells us it's okay to be a victor. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so crazy. I mean, our society right now, it's so soft. Let me tell you about how soft some of our society is right now. I've never shared this on the podcast. 
I was talking with Andy Frisella about this. Andy, you know, I go train at army bases all over America and they bring me in and, and I'm out there at uh, Fort Sill one time and they've got all these, you know, cadets and recruits that are off on the side, they're on crutches and, and they bring me in to talk to all of them. They're on, in, in this little medical unit. And I'm like, man, that's a lot of young people in a medical unit. What's going on? They call it soft bones. The Pentagon talks about this. They call it soft bones. They call them soft bones because a lot of these kids come into basic training and they haven't done anything for the first 18 years of their life. Haven't left the house. They haven't climbed trees and fallen out of trees. They didn't do the stuff we did when we were kids, man. Riding bikes, scuffing yeah, me yeah, up. Yeah. And I know you grew up the same way I did, man. When you go out in the morning, you're out all day till the lights the lights come down. Man. That's right. I mean, so it's <laughs> yeah. like, but kids don't do that now. They stay in their house. They play video games. They're on their phones. They're on their devices. And they come to the army and they, they've never had any kind of contact or anything like that. Never, nothing rough. They trip. They fall. They break a femur. From falling. They're not, they're not combat training. They're falling and tripping and breaking femurs, man. So they had to put them on the side, give them calcium bones, yeah. get them back to health again. Man, that's scary. It, that is scary. Yes, that is scary. This is the army, man. Confrontational tolerance. I love that term. I like that. I've never heard that. So confrontational tolerance is, I think, one of the greatest attributes of great leaders. The ability to deal with confrontation and tolerate it. These kids, their bodies need a little confrontation because that's I how they that. get strong. That's it. Without a little friction, there is no traction. That's it. Right? You need friction a lot. Yeah, no, it. that's, but that's something that like, you know, to me, that's like the alarm bell should be going off in this country. When you have, you know, troops that you're training that aren't even ready to do basic physical exercises, man. Yeah. That's, that's scary because we, we've allowed our society to be soft right now. Yeah. Okay. So your, your mother didn't allow you to be soft. Not so I want, I'm going to transition to that because I yeah. love that part of your story is that, you know, so many times we hear stories of kids that get involved with drugs, kids that start stealing, but these kids come from broken homes. These kids have been had lots of trauma. That wasn't you. No. So I want you, I mean, you were a Division I athlete, North Texas, yeah. quarterback, stud on campus, yeah. raised in a Christian home, great parents. Your mother, especially, talk about your mom, yeah. about what she told you and what she, and you already mentioned a little bit, but talk about that interaction. So, and before I do that, let me tell you that, like, whenever I was in prison, I was a sober observer to a world that I'd never even thought I'd be a part of, right? Prison. I mean, like, and I, how much do you know about a prison, right? In your life, you haven't been inside one. And that was my life. I was never going to be inside of a prison, but now I'm there and I'm a sober observer to what's going on. My bachelor's degree was in sociology. And I always equate prison to being like living in a giant sociological Petri dish. I mean, it's like waking up in a lab every day. I'm in a lab experiment and this is human labs going on because anything can happen inside of a prison. So I started paying attention. I identified five variables that really kind of determine whether or not someone is going to have a predisposition to have a negative interaction with the criminal justice system in America. This is in order. Poverty, lack of education, lack of a family unit, race, and then there's substance abuse slash mental health. Now, I'm an outlier for the first four. Poverty. No, I didn't grow up poor. I grew up middle class. Lack of an education. Had the best education there was, man. I had a bachelor's degree when we went to prison. Most guys, you know, if they make it out of high school to get to prison, they're lucky. Seventh grade is about the average education in prison. Lack of a family unit? Not me, brother. My parents next week are going to celebrate 55 years of being oh, married. It's awesome. You know, I mean, I didn't come from a broken home or a split home. Race? No. Could identify with that one either, man. I'm a white middle class guy. You know, I'm not, you know, most of your prison population is going to be black, going to be African-American. Next is going to be Hispanic. Then it's going to be white. So I'm an outlier for those four, but it's substance abuse. That was the rail that I touched. And substance abuse ended up being the one thing that did me in. But I came from a great family. My family unit 
I, I, I tell people all the time, I won the lottery when I got my parents because you don't get to pick your parents. You know, your parents are picked for you and that's, that's not a choice you get to make. But my parents were incredible. Great childhood, great background. My parents were always in my life. They were always trying to, to help me become the best version of me. Uh, they allowed me to fall out of trees and, and scuff my knees up and stuff like that. I mean, and sports was a big deal in my home because my dad was a sports writer. So I played a lot of sports. And I learned a lot of life lessons in sports. I think sports is great for that, Nate, because I mean, yep. kids learn a lot of lessons in sport. My little stepdaughter, Clara, she's, she's 11 and her sport is competition dance. And she's learning a lot from competition. She, I mean, when they lose, it's like, well, we want to get better. It's like, okay, what do you want to do? So you want to take some lessons? We can do that. You want to you want to work harder? You want to spend more hours in here? Because it, she's learning in life that when you say yes to something over here, you got to say no to something over here. That's a big one in life, you know, and, and you get that from sports. But my mom, whenever I was going through the drug stuff, and I'm in Dallas, you know, my parents live in Port Arthur, which is six hours away. They know something's wrong. I lie to them a lot. When I talk on the phone, I lie to them. I don't go see them much anymore. They know something's wrong, but they can't put their finger on it. But when I get arrested, I call home from Dallas County Jail. And the first call I have home, my dad actually answered the phone first. And he was screaming and crying. I'd never seen my dad cry before, but man, he is broke. I broke my dad and I could hear it in his voice. I've never heard him cry. My mom snatches the phone from my dad. She's like, baby, listen, I've never seen your father like this before, but we need to have a serious conversation. We got to talk. She said, you need to understand that we love you unconditionally. Unconditional love, Nate. She said, there's nothing you can do to make us not love you. That was the deal we made with God when he loaned you to us. She said, do you understand what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, I got it, mom. She's like, that's good, baby, because we just gave you back to God. She said, there's nothing we can do for you. Oh, she that's, said, that's yeah. Fantastic. I mean, she was just, and that was my mom. That's how my mom, she said, there, you are now a captive audience to God, and you better start listening to him. And she's reminded me of this prayer plaque that she had on the wall as a, when I, as a kid when I grew up. My mom has prayer plaques everywhere, but she's a very devout Christian woman. And this prayer plaque is Footprints in the Sand. And she's reminded me on that jail phone about Footprints in the Sand. Get on God's back, you know. The only set of footprints in that jail are God's, not yours. Get on his back, you know. But when I got sentenced to life in prison, 10 months after that phone call, I get a little visit with my mom and my dad. The, the county is going to give my parents one last visit with me before I go to prison. I mean, they feel sorry for my parents. I just got a life. My dad, again, he cannot talk. He's in stunned disbelief that his son, who once had all those promised life, just got a life sentence in prison. So my mom, that strong-willed Christian woman, that nurse, does all the talk. You seen the theme here? Yeah, my mom. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and she's telling me, she's like, you know, Damon, debts in life demand to be paid. And you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, but you did everything they said you did. So you're going to have to go and pay that debt to society because you owe Texas that debt. She said, but you owe your father and I debt too. We gave you all the opportunities, love, and support to be anything you want to be in life. And that is how you just repaid us what we saw in that courtroom. Not going to work. Raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant multi-pot of a city. We gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay us. She said, when you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type of gangs, because you're scared because you're a minority in there. She said, you were never raised to be a racist. You're not going to be a racist now. She said, you will not get any tattoos while you're inside that prison. And I mean, if I didn't have this jacket on, I'd show your view. I'd show everybody, man. I got no tats. I, I was in I was in a maximum security level five prison eight for almost 10 years, man. Level five is the highest security level there is, man. No tattoos. And these guys want to tattoo every inch of your body in prison. These guys would hit me up constantly. Wes, let me put a tattoo on you, man. And I tell them the same thing, man. It, dude, I can't do it. My mom said no, you know. How'd that go? Yeah. <laughs> My mom said no. They, they would laugh. But I mean, every, here's the thing. That's a good question, actually, that you just asked. Because guys respect a, a guy, another guy's mother in prison. The busiest visitation day in prison is Mother's Day. Wow. Everybody's got a mom, right? And, or the moms have, are going to love you no matter what. Moms are going to love you no matter what. 
Father's Day is nothing like Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the that, busiest visitation day of the year. It's that, a, that's interesting. Yeah, and my parents lived 10 minutes away from where I did my time, so they would see me. All the, my parents came to see me over 150 times in prison. Over 100 men. No one got that many visits. Not a single other person in prison. Wardens, majors, people from the chapel, they're like, never seen anybody get this many visits, Damon. You are truly blessed. And I was. My mom and my dad never gave up on me. The only visitation day of the year that my mother would not come to see me is Mother's Day. And she always said, Damon, we're going to leave that, that visitation table open for someone else's mother to visit their son. It's my mom. You know, she's she's a thoughtful, loving Christian woman, but she's sitting there with her son in front of her and she's telling me, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back to us at all. What did that do to you? Took, took the wind out of me for the second time in five minutes. I just got sentenced to life in prison five minutes before that. You know, the shock hasn't even worn off from that. And now I've got my mom telling me, you know, you've got to go through this gauntlet of prison, which there's a lot of unknowns. Unknowns create fears. You know, a lot of people, we fear the unknown. We don't know what we're going to go into. And in some cases, fears, you know, turn out to be true, you know, mm-hmm. or Jackson told me. Jackson told me there's a difference between danger and fear. And he said this, he said, fear isn't real. Fear is a feeling. It's emotion you, you get in the situation you're in. Fears aren't real. He said, but danger is real. And you have to respect danger. Anytime you're around danger, respect it. But fear, you have to be able to say, is this fear? Is it danger? And so, but that time I have a lot of fear about the world I'm about to go into. I just got sentenced to life in prison. My mom's telling me that I can't look like the guys that I'm seeing around me in, in county jail that have been to prison. Every person I'm seeing, Nate, I mean, they all have the tatted up thing going on. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys are in gangs, you know, because I've talked to these guys the 10 months I've been in county jail. But I don't have a lot in common with them. But now I just became a lifer. How am I going to be the opposite of what I see around me? Everything I see around me looks one way. And she's telling me I can't go that path. I got to go another way. And I'm freaked out by it. And I'm going to tell you something that happened. And I haven't, I've talked about this on some podcasts, not many. May 18, 2009, the day I'm sentenced to life in prison. I have that conversation with my mom and my dad. The guards come to get me. They take me back to my pod in Dallas County Jail. So I walk in. So all these guys in county jail, they've been watching my trial on TV for days, man. It's a very high profile case. So it's on the news every day. And they they saw that I was sentenced to life in prison. And man, when I walked into the pod, there's 63 other guys in there. No one will come near me. They're staring at me. They're looking at a dead man walking, a guy with a life sentence. And I think they're afraid they're going to catch a life sentence. They get too close to me. No one wants to come near the guy that just got life. It's you're, I'm ostracized immediately. And man, look. The only thing I want to do right there at that point, I want to cry. But you can't cry in that environment. It's a very predatory environment. That's a sign of weakness. But the only place you can cry is inside the shower. So I have the thickest face I can put on. I walk to my bunk. I grab my shower stuff, my shower shoes, my towel, my soap. I go to the showers. I hit the shower water on. It hits me in the, the water hits me in the face and the tears start coming. You know. And the reason why you can cry in the shower is because no one can no tell. No one knows. No one yeah. can tell. Yeah. yeah. Water hits me. Tears come flooding. And man, I'm just boohooing like a baby in there. And I'm talking to Christ. I'm like, hey. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm lost. I'm stuck. Will you, will you take me back? And, and man, that's how it is with Christ, man. It, there was no like admonishment like, you didn't listen to me. I told you to do this. You didn't get on my back. Let's go, Damon. May 18, 2009 was the day that I lost my old life and started my new one in Christ. And it was just a wild transformation in one day. There was a peace that came over from that shower, but that like, I'm back. I'm back in, you know, in good graces. Because I think sometimes in life we feel like that the, the, the things we do disqualify us from being closer to God. Like, you know, it, it happens a lot. I hear people tell me about it. And it, I even do it too, till I remind myself that, you know, Christ died for your sins, man. It, it's okay. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes, but you got to own it. Owning your mistakes is a big thing. This is like a big thing. And now it was like, that's what Christ is telling me. Now it's time to start owning this stuff and transforming you back around. And, you know, lo and behold, 
uh, you know, I, Mr. Jackson is there waiting for me inside Dallas County Jail, you know, waiting to give me the story of the coffee bean after that shower conversion that I have in there. There's Mr. Jackson waiting out there. I think that Christ will use, and I think I know there's people on the roads of life, no matter what choices you make in life, good and bad, there's going to always be a guide, a messenger, or maybe it's a mentor or a coach. Because we all need mentors in life, don't we? We all need coaches. I mean, I know I do. If Tom Brady does and Michael Jordan does, you need a coach too. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But some of these people come to us and they don't look like us. They don't come from the same background as us. So maybe we don't listen to them because they don't, we think, man, well, how could they know, you know, how could they have any, anything that can help me? You don't come from the same background as me, same education, you know, socioeconomic status. You're different than me. No. You got to be receptive to all the messengers to get all the messages of life. Mr. Jackson was a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Couldn't be further from me if he tried, man. I'm a white middle-class Catholic guy from a little bitty town called Port Arthur. But this guy from the streets of Dallas shared with me one of the most important transformational messages I've ever received. And there were other messengers along the road in there. You know, I got, you know, my my cellmate, my first cellmate when I got to prison, a guy named Carlos, man. He's sharing with me about changing the way I think. You know, he's telling me, you've got to stop looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. And man, I didn't, I didn't understand what he was, I didn't understand, I couldn't wrap my brain around that, Nate. I was like, what do you mean prison's an opportunity, man? This is like the worst thing in the world. He said, this is your, op- dude, you got 24 hours a day, seven days a week to become the best version of you. And, 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 and the night he was telling me that, man, the guard got done counting our cell. It's already passed the lights out. So he, he peeks his head down from the top bunk and he whispers at me. He's like, Psst. Hey, he said, West, what are you going to do tomorrow with your opportunity, man? What are you prepared to do tomorrow with that opportunity you got? So I woke up the next day in prison and I started looking at prison as an opportunity instead of prison as a punishment. I, I started taking action in my life. You know, these are the, the things we have to understand in life that no one can take action for us. We have to take our own action. No one can do it for us. We have to be prepared to put in our own work in life. No one can put your work for you. No, no one can put in my work for me. And if I don't do the work, it's not going to get done, you know? So I had to start doing the work. I had to start putting in the work. And it doesn't matter where you are in life. You can be anywhere. You can be in an ivory tower somewhere, or you can be in a dungeon like I was. Put in the work. Put your nose down to the ground. Start putting in the work. You know, Days became weeks. Weeks became months. Months became years. But I finally started figuring out how to be a coffee bean inside that prison. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, man, those guys, those SWAT teams saved my life. They were angels, man. The SWAT teams of life come for us in different ways, though, Nate. So I want you just to... As I hear you talking right there and talking about just the SWAT teams, they're all shapes or sizes. As I hear you, Mr. Jackson, and you crying in that shower, that is the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing how the Lord works in just different ways? Where's Mr. Jackson today? Man, this is the most frequent question I get. I mean, for I've been out of prison for seven and a half years of this recording, right? The most frequent question I get is like, what about Mr. Jackson? What happened to him? And I couldn't ever find him because his name's not really Mr. Jackson. I gave him that name for the sake of the story. The only name I knew this guy by in Dallas County Jail is Muhammad. Because when guys go to prison and they convert to Islam, they get rid of their real name. Think about Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay went to prison in the 1960s. He walked out of prison. It's Muhammad Ali. That's how you got Muhammad Ali. This guy's name was Muhammad. So when I meet him in 2009, he tells me his name's Muhammad. I'm not in the frame of mind. I start asking people what their real names are. I mean, I'm like, man, I'm, just, I'm scared to death. So I never got his real name. Never knew it. I get out of prison in 2015. I go back to Dallas. I start paying my fines. I got a lot of fines to pay off. And I ask him, I'm trying to find my friend Muhammad. And they're like, Mr. West, we need a real name or a birthday. We can't find your friend. So I go back to Port Arthur, which is about six hours from Dallas. And I start sharing my story and sharing the story of the coffee meme. And you got to understand, though, Nathan, I'm, I'm like, I'm in the South, brother. I mean, I'm not just going to go around saying, hey, I just got out of prison and Muhammad told me this and Muhammad told me that. I just don't think it's going to fly where I live. So I just gave him the name Mr. Jackson because 
everybody ended up loving Mr. Jackson. They, and more importantly, they loved Mr. Jackson's message of the coffee bean. People, they're listening to the message, right? I got a letter from an inmate in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice this past summer. And my book, The Change Agent, has my P.O. box in there for inmates to write me. An inmate writes me in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and it has one sentence in there. It says, find James Lynn Baker, and you find Mr. Jackson. My first clue. So I go to Dallas, get a private investigator involved. I, I get with my lawyer. He gets a private investigator involved, and we go find James Lynn Baker. First thing we find is James Lynn Baker's criminal record. Matched everything he said in Dallas County Jail. Had him in and out of prison his entire life, which is what he told me. He told me he was in there on a parole violation, which it had him in there 2009, a parole violation. So he's in jail the same time I am in 2009. This is my guy. I'm excited, man. I get to see Mr. Jackson again. But I never got to see him again, Nathan, because he died on May 9th, 2017. He died of an opiate overdose. He was a drug addict just like me, but he never got help. He never got into a program recovery. So now that I knew who he was, this is integrity. Integrity is a pillar of life. If you want to have a successful life, you want to be a success story, you have to have integrity. You got to act with integrity. And that's what that's who you are when the one with God is watching. That's your character, right? So I told the my lawyer, I said, now that we know who he is, I need to go find his family to honor him somehow. And my lawyer was like, dude, what do you mean go find his family? You don't this could go a lot of different directions, and most of them are not good. The coffee bean story is yours. He's passed away. Keep me doing good stuff. I'm like, I can't do that. I don't think that's what God wants me to do. Now that I know who he is, I got to honor him. So it got kind of wild. The private investigator finds his family. His sister, he has two little sisters in the 1970s that are Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. One of them is the first Dallas Cowboy cheerleader ever. Yeah, Von Seal Baker, the first woman to wear the uniform. But his mother, man, his mother was unbelievable. Bertha Baker, his mother, in 1948, she becomes the first licensed black daycare owner in Dallas. The first daycare license to a black resident goes to his mom, who starts a daycare out of the home he grows up in, the first black daycare. In fact, the home he grew up in is a city landmark in the city of Dallas. It's a protected building. And I'm like, man, this guy came from royalty, you know? So the private investigator sets up a phone call with the three living sisters, Visha, Von Seal, and Vanessa Baker. And I call these ladies up. One, I remember where I was in uh, Hartsfield Airport, Atlanta, on a layover one night. I call them up, and I told them a story about what happened when I met their brother in Dallas County Jail in 2009 and the message he gave me. And I, I was like, hey, listen, y'all, I don't know what your feelings are about your brother and the choices that he made in life, but I need you to understand your brother impacted at least one person on this planet. And that one person is going to impact the entire planet with the message he gave me. So I was like, hey, what high school did y'all go to? Where'd y'all go to high school? And uh, they said Dallas Lincoln. And he told me it's from the inner city and they confirmed that Dallas Lincoln is as inner city and urban as you can get in Dallas. I was like, great. Here's what I want to do at Dallas Lincoln. I'm going to start a scholarship in your brother's name. And I'm going to put, personally put $10,000 every year into a trust for a scholarship. The James Land Baker II Be a Coffee Bean Scholarship says that every year, one little boy or one little girl that grows up in his neighborhood that goes to his high school is going to get a better chance at life through an education because these two guys had this encounter in Dallas County Jail in 2009. So we just picked, the family just picked the first scholarship recipient. Oh, I love it. Yeah, a little old girl named Rayona Bailey. Rayona is a first-generation college, African-American girl, first-generation college student, 3.9 GPA, wants to be a nurse one day. Just it. like Jackson's mom was a nurse. My mom's a nurse. My wife's a nurse practitioner. I love it. Yeah, man. So it's a so, full circle. So you look at that story, though, and and what, what did that do to them at that family? I can't imagine just how. That's such a great question, man. It's just, it's just so new. I got to tell you what it did to them because it was something that I learned. It's something that Christ hit me with. I got the coffee bean message from a guy. And this is a good lesson for like people to understand, too. We're talking about you know tangible things you can take from this conversation today. This is a warning. Mr. Jackson, James Lindbecker II. He was sitting on this message that's in this book. I don't know how long of his life, but most of his life was spent inside of prisons 
and an addiction. He had the message, but he couldn't do anything with it. We can have the right message, but if we can't apply what that is in our life, if we don't know how to apply that, if we don't have a mentor or a coach to help us apply that, it doesn't matter. You can be sitting on the, he was sitting on, on one of the best messages I've ever heard in life, but he couldn't apply it in his own life. There's a big warning. Now, when I found the family, one of the first things they told me is like, you know, this is great to hear because our brother didn't amount to much in life. In fact, one of the sisters said he was a screw up, you know, and every time he would get out of prison, he would go live with one of them till he burned that bridge and went back to prison. And it's just a cycle. That's what addiction is. Addiction does that to people. I tell people all the time that, that most addicts aren't bad people. They're sick people that do bad things. That's what addiction is, man. And I was a sick person that did very bad things. I created victims everywhere in my addiction. And that's what he did. He was an addict and he, you know, he, he did bad things in his addiction. There was a, a news reporter in Dallas that wanted to do a story, Kevin Reese. He wanted to do a story because he's followed my story from when I was the Uptown Burger to now. And he loves the transformation, all the changes that have been made in my life. He follows me and does stories. And he's like, man, now that you found this guy, let's do a story. Let's get the, the family involved. So I, I hit up the sisters. I said, hey, listen, this guy wants to do a story on it. They're like, absolutely not. They wouldn't even have a conversation with me. Five different times I tried to talk to him about doing the story. I'm like, finally, I'm like, why not? They're like, you tell us this is going to be a positive story, but there's nothing positive to say about our brother because he didn't have a positive life in the end. He had a lot of positive stuff going for him in the beginning, but he ended up going to prison and being drugs. And I'm like, listen, just trust me. This is going to be a positive story. And, and you know, we're going to change the legacy of your brother. And man, you can go on YouTube, WFAA and Damon West. Put that in a YouTube search. and You'll see the story about Damon finds the coffee bean inmate that told him the story. Watch the pride in these sisters when they talk about their brother. Their backs are up straight. They're like, my brother it. is this. And, and there you could see it beaming from them, man. They're so proud of their brother, this legacy that he has, a scholarship in his name. He shared that message with Damon West, who's out there changing the world. That's my brother. That's our brother. They've got pride in their brother again. And it's what I learned. The coffee bean message, I've learned so much from it and about the power that we have to transform the world around us. But I'm telling you, man, Christ hit me over the head with this whenever I realized that you know, I'm a redeemed man by every metric. You look at my life, you know, I turn it around. I become a good person. I've become a family man. I've become a businessman, an entrepreneur. I'm a redeemed man. But part of getting that message from him back in 2009 was so that I could redeem him one day too. And sometimes in life, I would argue a lot of times in life, it's about what we're supposed to do for other people. And that's that servant leadership component. And I never knew that that was there. That was part of what the mission was with the coffee bean message. But now that it's happened, I was supposed to always redeem him. And now I've redeemed him. He's got a legacy to leave behind. I love it. All right. So a couple more things. Yeah, as much as you want. Then we're going to close this up. Mr. Jackson gives you this message of the Mm -hmm. coffee bean. You redeem your life. You redeem his. But now you have this message. And even though it's right now, every time I listen to you, I get more fascinated and inspired. But you had to work to get this message out. Yeah. So it didn't just all say, okay, I got this message and people came gravitating to you. You said, I'm going to make this change in other people's lives. But you, when you told me the story about Clemson. Yeah. Just tell that. Just tell, tell how, you, how you had to work to say, I'm going to impress this message let me, t- let me tell you a little bit more with that story, okay. too, that I don't want to get into when I'm, yeah. I'm talking to groups. But it, like, oh, so I get out of prison in 2015, November yeah. 2015. And I want to I want to share my story. 
But hey, when I first get out of prison, man, no one's going to let me. I, I can't go knock on the door of a school and say, hey, I just got out of prison. I want to talk to your kids. Man, they'll lock you back up. <laughs> There's nowhere for me to speak. My, my sponsor in AA, we'll call him Ray, protect his anonymity. Ray's like, man, you got to get out and start doing service work, man. You're going to go back to prison because you're stuck inside yourself. You're miserable right now. And they're like, well, no one let me come talk. He's like, don't worry about that. That'll come at some point. Go volunteer. Go to an old folks home. Go volunteer and spend time with people that don't ever get visitors. You know, so I started my life of service began in senior citizens homes, just going, sitting around and listening to people tell me their stories all day long on a Saturday and Sunday. Because well, Hold on, hold on. You went from prison to the senior citizens home. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, that's, that's what he fantastic. told me. He said, go spend time. Because my, my argument with him was like, I can't do anything because I'm an ex-con. He goes, that's not true. Now you have self-pity. Self-pity is a good way to go back to prison. He said, so get past your self-pity. There's places that would love to have you. He said, go to a senior citizens home, go to the front desk, ask them for a list of people who never get visitors. They'll give you a list a mile long. People that have been forgotten about by their families. People who live in an institution. He said, you just walked out of an institution. You know what it's like to be lonely in an institution. Go spend your weekend with those people and just visit them. Just let them talk to you. Listen. He's telling me to just go listen. So I do that. That becomes my first service work project. And I find a cop and a judge locally in that area that will take me into schools. And it's it's not a lot of places that I'm getting to speak. But there's a mirror in my parents' spare bedroom. This happened to be there when I moved in. I live in their spare bedroom. There's a mirror in there. And I started, I put together my presentation. The presentation I have today began in that spare bedroom. And every night that I wasn't, every day that I wasn't out speaking somewhere, which was most days when I first got out, I did a presentation every single night in front of that mirror. And I built this presentation and I got it, I fine-tuned it, you know. I'd have a I'd have a stopwatch, I'd have my laptop out, and I'd have it and I'd practice in front of that mirror every day. I got a rep in every day. I'd get my, I got my reps in. People want to talk about this thing called the overnight success. They think this thing is real. Like it had, no, there's no such thing as an overnight success, man. Hard work, dedication, commitment, patience, a little bit of luck. That's how you get to your goals in life. So I've worked on this presentation every day for almost two years when I finally get a chance to get in front of Dabo Sweeney. And here's how I got in front of Dabo Sweeney, man. I go to this coaches award show, the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award in 2017. There's eight coaches there. I mean, and I go up in front of all these coaches. My buddy sneaks me into the, the place, first of all. And I'm running around these coaches. And I'm like, hey, man, you got to bring me in, talk to your team. I got this great story. I was in prison. I mean, these coaches are looking at me like, man, no, you're not coming to talk to my team. <laughs> you know, and one of the coaches runs from me, man. And he's my friend now, so I won't tell you who it was. But he runs the other direction, man. Because, I mean, you know, I'm an unknown. No one knows me. But Dabo Sweeney, man. Dabo Sweeney was the only coach in that room of eight coaches that eventually brought me in to speak to his team. And man, at that position, that time in life, I didn't have any presentations to go to. I didn't have college football programs to go to. But I go speak to Clemson in August of 2017. This is almost two years after I got out of prison. Almost two years of practicing my presentation in front of a mirror for this moment right here. And when I'm done with my presentation at night, Dabo's in my face. Dabo, and Dabo's very high energy. Man, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. He said, have you been to Alabama yet? I was like, man, no, I've been, I've been to Clemson. I haven't been anywhere, dude. I mean, it's like, what do you mean, been to Alabama, man? I, this is your, you're it, brother. He said, man, he said, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room. We'll see what happens. And man, when I landed for my trip to Clemson the next day, I, I landed in Houston. Turned on my phone. I got a voicemail, a text message from the football operations guy at Alabama. It says, hey man, Dabo called. We'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. Here, August 21st, 7.30 p.m. There's your window of opportunity with us. Just like that, Dabo Sweeney kicks open the door to call. And he doesn't stop, man. Dabo calls Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, all these other coaches. Got to bring this guy in. They're all calling me, man. So now I'm in front of all these college football programs. My dream is becoming a reality. But the real magic in my life happened in August of 2018. It was one year after I spoke to Clemson. I'm at my desk at work at this law firm. 
which I don't work at the law firm. I'm an entrepreneur now. I, I've, got a, I've got several businesses now, but back then I was working at the law firm in 2018. And I get a phone call, and on the other end of my phone is a guy named John Gordon. John Gordon, man, one of the biggest motivational speakers and authors in America is on my phone. And I'm like, dude, John, I know who you are. How do you know who I am? And he said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, man, I just got done speaking to Clemson's football team. Dabo's a real close friend of mine. Dabo brings me in the office and he tells me your story for 30 minutes statement. He told me all about your story. He did your presentation for 30 minutes. And he told me the story of the coffee bean. And he said, John said this in 2018, before the pandemic. John said, Damon, the world needs the coffee bean message. Let's deliver this message to the world. Let's write a book. We'll call it the coffee bean. He said, I'll split everything with you 50-50. And Nathan, oh my God, my, my response to John was like, man, you're John Gordon. You go write the coffee bean. You don't need me. Thankfully, John is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. He's my best friend and mentor in life to this day still. John said, Damon, God has already shown me what the cover of the book looks like and your name's on it. Let's listen to God. Let's write this book together. He said, I'll split everything with you 50-50. So the book comes out in, in July of 2019. It becomes an instant bestseller here in America. Then it gets a global publishing deal attached to it because it did so well in America. Now it's in almost every language in the world. It's in Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian. All these different languages and cultures have the coffee bean on their bookshelves. And whenever John, his old publishing contract, for every book he wrote, he got a $100,000 advance for writing the book. Remember, John said, I'll split everything with you 50-50. Now, Nathan, whenever I got in trouble, when I was going to trial, my parents, they loved me. Remember this unconditional love. They did everything they could for me. They even cashed in a lot of their retirement to get me representation, lawyers. I got two lawyers that bought me. $50,000 is what they spent on me. And I always told them, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. And in 2017, I'm living with them still, and I'm like, I'll pay you back. And I'm giving them like $200 a month, what I can afford. When this book came out in 2019, I got a check in the mail for half of that $100,000 advance that John got. And he honored everything he said. It was $50,000. I called my mom and dad. My dad answers, like, hey, dad, you can be home. I got to bring something by your house. Yeah, yeah, we'll be home. Come see his name. I li they live 10 minutes away. I drove over there, knocked on the door. My dad's like, well, I thought you had something. I whipped out that check for $50,000 and signed it over to him. The debts in life. Oh, I love it. Yeah, man. And so, I can't imagine seeing your boss. Oh, my God. My dad face. was bawling. He was like, oh, he's, like yeah. he's like, I never thought we'd ever see this money. That was okay because we love you. And I'm like, yeah. it, it wasn't about the money. Yeah. I mean, the money was just, I can't imagine how they feel or proud. They, yeah. they got their son back that they raised that, but your mom told you. And he paid come his back. debts. And he's paid his debts. Paid his oh, debts. Yeah, I, Remember I, I my mom it. told me debts yeah. in life demand to be paid yes. after I got sent to life yes. in prison. And now... Because of John Gordon, Dabo Sweeney, you know, because I stuck around that room that night in Houston, Texas on January 12, 2017 yeah. at the Bear Bryant Coach of Year Award. Man, I had been told no seven times in one hour. That's a no every eight minute, man. There's one more coach <laughs> to talk to. And Dabo is the guy. And he's, I mean, he, he beat Alabama two nights before for the national championship. Everybody wants his time. And so I had to wait it out, man. And, and I finally got my chance to shoot my shot to dabble. I asked the question. The only question you know the answer to in life is the one you don't ask. That's a no. Every time you don't ask the question, it's going to be a no every single time. Or as Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yep. Man, take your shots in life. Ask Absolutely. your questions, man. Go for it, you know? Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay, so we're going to close on this. What are you up to now? Where do I start? So... I started sharing the story of the coffee meme. Started going out speaking, and it's become, I've become one of the bigger speakers in America. I mean, I speak all over the world now, but one of the bigger keynote speakers in America. And I'm in this lane where things are happening. I mean, they're coming at me, and especially after Ed's podcast, you found me. A lot of other people found me because you attached the coffee bean message to this big influencer's platform. So I'm on the road probably 80% of my life out there speaking, sharing the coffee bean message with the groups, teams, organizations, you know, sports teams, companies, corporations, whatever. But, uh, you know, one of the things I did when I got out of prison, I went back to school, I got a master's in criminal justice, and I became a professor at the University of Houston. 
teaching a class called Prisons in America. I became the only, pri- the only professor on earth to teach a prisons class who lived in prison. So part of what I do part-time is I, is, as I teach. I didn't have a class this past semester because the speaking schedule's gotten so heavy. But one of my biggest passions in life is getting back into prisons. Because, I mean, look, man, in a prison, you know, every man or woman in there that listens to my presentation, they're going to all be listening in a different way, a different in- intensity because they want what I've got. And I'm the guy that's, I mean... I'm like the great hope for them. You know, I'm the I'm the smuggler of hope. I smuggle hope into prison. I don't smuggle cell phones or dope. I smuggle hope because hope's the thing you have to have in life. Hope, Shawshank Redemption. The reason why Shawshank Redemption is uh, is about Red, Morgan Freeman's character, is because Red had lost hope. Red was a dead man, and Andy Andy Dufresne restored hope in that man's life. Everybody needs hope. Yeah. So I do a lot of stuff inside the prison system. I got a curriculum I've, I've developed inside the prison that helps men and women think better because you got to change the way they think. Think is everything, man. It goes back to all these things about thinking, but I want to change the way they think. And I try to teach them the lessons, the principles I live by, you know, being a coffee bean, smile, use positive body language everywhere you go, work out on yourself every day, spiritually, mentally, physically. The secret to life is servant leadership. Servant leadership is helping other people reach their goals in life. Become a servant. Servants are the, the, the people you want to be. Control the controllables. You know, what you think, what you say, what you feel, what you do. These are the things you have control over. And lastly, don't worry about your past. Your past is, it didn't define you. Your past, your lesson. You learn from it. You can teach other people with it. I remind people all the time, in prison, out of prison, the things you think disqualify in your life might actually be the things that qualify you to help someone else. Your failures that you have in life, these things that you think hold you back, that might be the thing that help that that qualifies you to help someone else who could go down that road that you could help out. These are mentors and coaches, people that teach us these lessons in life. You know, being an author has been great. I got married, uh, you know, for, I just celebrated my four-year anniversary with my wife. We got married May 18th. 2019, we got married. Now, remember May 18th, 2009, the day that I get sentenced to life in prison. I lose that life the day I go back to Christ, May 18th. Ten years to the day from that day, I got married. I become a husband. I become a stepfather. The two greatest hats I get to wear in life. Or as my wife says sometimes, you went from one license to another. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, man, I I got a great life, man. I I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got several businesses now. I've taken some of the profits from speaking and spun them off into different businesses. My wife has a a demolition construction company that's female-owned. i got a construction company built houses with my father-in-law. I've got an oil and gas company in South Texas called Coffee Bean Energy where I'm an oil and gas operator. I put gas on the market, man. But, I love it. I love yeah, that. and I have a foundation of the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation where we do work. We our main thing is we 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 try to connect children of incarcerated parents. Any child in America that's got an incarcerated parent, we try to get them scholarships for extracurricular activities, things to keep them busy and keep them away from that generational incarceration that happens so much. That's so much that I saw from these guys in prison. Their kids, they would always say, "Man, I'm worried about my kid going on the same road I'm down." So I'm trying to find those kids out there in the country and and provide them with the means to. Play sport, football, karate, whatever, and dance. My little stepdaughter's into dance. Dance is expensive, man. So we want to help those kids get to those goals. I love it. Yeah. Well, every time I hear you, every time I'm around you, you inspire me more. I'm so on fire for your vision that I do think the world needs this message. And you have backed it up with your actions, too, by the way. You've done a lot to help me, and I'm truly grateful for you, brother. Yeah, well, I, well, I believe in it. I think this this message is something that everybody needs to hear. So if you're listening right now, I encourage you, first of all, just go read the book. Go read the coffee bean. Buy this for your teammates. Buy this for your friends. Buy this for your, if you're on a team for all the players. This is such a powerful message that every person that reads it and they call me or they'll text me and go, thank you so much for that. Seriously? Oh, I, oh I'm, it blows your way. I'm going to show you a text later of a guy. It's, it's, it it's, blows your way. It's, it's phenomenal what this message, 
is all about. So I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to go out and look at Damon's website. I encourage you to bring him into your organization. You're getting to do another event with me here in, in uh, September. Guess where it's going to be? In Dallas. I know the area well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we can't can't wait for that. So I I highly encourage you, get in touch with Damon. Listen to Damon's, uh, I mean, you have your own podcast? I'm on a lot of podcasts. You can find me though at my website, damonwest.org. Okay. And my books are anywhere books are sold, Amazon, you know, anywhere. What lo- other books do you have? You have Change Agent? The Change Agent, which is my life. That's my favorite one, man. That's my okay. life story. The Change Agent, The Coffee Bean, The Coffee Bean for Kids, The Locker Room, and most recently, How to Be a Coffee Bean with John Gordon. She became a Wall Street I Roman, haven't read, so. I've, got, I've had the other ones. I have not read that one. So. I'll send you a signed copy. Don't buy it. I'll, I'll send you a signed right, copy. I got to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it, it just came out in February, it became a Wall Street Journal right. bestseller. So, but right. yeah, man, it's, but look, I, I'm grateful for all that you've done in my life. You've been I- incredible. You're a servant leader. And I mean, I, I want to emulate the stuff you do. So put me in places I can serve, brother. I love it. Thank yeah. you so much. You can find more thoughts on how to move beyond bricks at drnathanunruh.com. 